0: Welcome to the Relationship Diversity Podcast, where we celebrate, question, and explore all aspects of relationship structure diversity, from solaramory to monogamy to polyamory and everything in between, because every relationship is as unique as you are. We'll bust through societal programming to break open and dissect everything we thought we knew about relationships, to ask the challenging but transformational questions, who am I, and what do I really want in my relationships? I'm your guide, Carrie Jaroslow, best selling author, speaker, intuitive, and coach. Join me as we reimagine all that our most intimate relationships can become. Today's episode is part of our conversation series. I'm just one voice in this relationship diversity movement, and it's important to bring more unique perspectives into the conversation. Today, I'm honored to be talking with Dr. Elizabeth Sheff about the evolution of relationship diversity from her over 25-year career. We also talk about her work with The Bonding Project, a project which will help you explore the bonding styles that you have. But first, a little about her. Dr. Elizabeth Eli Sheff is a researcher, expert witness, coach, speaker, and educational consultant with a PhD in sociology from the University of Colorado. Boulder and certification as a sexuality educator. Dr. Chef specializes in gender and sexual minority families, consensual non-monogamy and kink BDSM. Chef is the foremost academic expert on polyamorous families with children, and her 25-plus-year polyamorous family study is the only longitudinal study of polyfamilies with children to date. In addition to the more than 20 peer-reviewed journal articles and chapters Dr. Eli has written, she's also published four books and is working on more. Chef's first book, The Polyamorous Next Door, details the findings of the first 15 years of her research on polyamorous families with children. Her second book, Stories from the Polycule, is an edited anthology of writings by polyamorous folks. When Someone You Love is Polyamorous is Chef's shortest book that guides family members and significant others who are trying to understand a polyamorous loved one. Children in Polyamorous Families is Dr. Eli's newest book. It's a short summary of her findings on children to date. Chef blogs for Psychology Today at the polyamorous next door. In collaboration with three colleagues, Dr. Eli developed the Bonding Project, a test people can take to explore their preferred bonding styles. Let's get into the conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Relationship Diversity Podcast, where I have a very special guest with me today. I'm very honored to welcome Dr. Elizabeth Chef here. So, welcome, Dr. Eli.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I am so excited to have you here because. You, you know, I've already read your bio out. So everyone knows, you know, the facts of who you are, but really your voice in the relationship diverse movement has been pivotal in not only in just speaking for this group, but also doing all of the research or a lot of the research behind these diverse relationships um, to support that there are many ways Infinite ways that people can be in relationships. And so, first, thank you for all of your work um, that you've done and continue to do. And I'd love to start with asking you how you got into studying polyamorous families, polyamory. What interested you about this type of relationship?
1: When I was 22, I met a man who told me on our first date that he never wanted to be monogamous and never wanted to get married. And I was like, whatever, I don't care. (laughs) You know, I thought I was going to be a lesbian and pretty much was like, you're my boy toy of the moment until I get back to real relationships with women. You're disposable. dude. So whatever you want, (laughs) I'm fine with me. You know, I don't care. Uh Um, But then I fell in love with him and I was like, wait a minute here. (laughs) Mm. What do you mean? No monogamy and no marriage. Like, I didn't know if that was what I wanted or not. But I couldn't imagine how to have like a long term committed relationship without one or both of those. It just Mm. didn't, it seemed, they seemed definitional Mm. of long term committed relationships to me. And I was really scared of non-monogamy. Um, I think a lot of people who are monogamous leaning when their partner says to them, I want multiple partners. What Mm -hmm. we hear is you're not good enough.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So what I heard was you're too fat, you're bad in bed, you know, you're not, you're not enough. Mm -hmm. And he kept trying to tell me, no, that's not it. You know, like it doesn't matter who he was with. He would always want multiple partners mm. and I was like, huh? So we talked about it for a long time. And then I heard about polyamory. We hadn't even known the word yet. Cause this mm. was probably in the early nineties, mm. I would say. Yeah. Early nineties. Um, so then I heard this radio radio, interview on national public radio uh, with a woman who ran a local polyamory support group where we Mm -hmm. were and she was talking about polyamory and talking about this event they were having and i was like oh my god that's exactly what he's been talking about and this is something i need to check out because i can't tell if i'm If I actually don't want to do this because I don't want to do this Mm. or if I'm afraid of this and don't want to do this because it's this kind of knee jerk reaction of being raised in a monogamous society. I can't Mm -hmm. tell the difference here. So we went to, it turned out to be a loving more event and loving more was one of the first organizations that served polyamorous communities they've Mm. printed for the longest time a print magazine it's gone now it's very difficult to maintain a print magazine financially now very difficult um but the organization still exists they do really cool conferences and educational planning and advocacy Mm. they're awesome um so i went and met these folks Pretty much what I think of as a civilian,
2: like Mm -hmm.
1: thinking about how does this impact my life and not approaching as a researcher, but more like I'm in love with someone who really wants to do this and it really bothers me Mm -hmm. a lot. So how do we manage this? And that relationship, in that relationship, we made a lot of the kind of classic mistakes of the time. My... Then partner now ex husband, um really wanted me to find us another woman mm. to join basically a unicorn. He was mm-hmm. a unicorn hunter, and he wanted me to use me as the bait mm. for the unicorn and I was not down. We mm-hmm. never did find our unicorn, but we did all like the weird things that unicorn hunters would do if we, you know, like expecting this woman to fold into our lives. He really saw her potentially as a way to have more children because I had had two kids. I was like, two was enough for me. I really can't handle myself mm-hmm, some of the time, mm-hmm. much less <laughs> more kids, you know, like In I'm, there. I'm yeah. full up with the number of beings I can manage. And he was like, well, maybe she'll have the children and she'll take care of the kids while you work. And I don't know what he was doing, sitting on his kingly throne, being fanned by angels, maybe. I don't know. But he definitely wanted to be the center of attention. Mm. And when we finally, finally, I very reluctantly tried it, men were approaching me. And he was like, no, no, no. This was uh, never going to be about with you. You with multiple men. This was always going to be about him with multiple women. And I was like, "You asshole!" Yeah, you never said that. You were never clear about that. I don't know if he thought it, but never told me, or he thought he could handle any kind of polyamory. But mm. as soon as men were interested in me, he was like, "Wow, I can't handle that," or I don't mm. know. Mm-hmm. But it destroyed our relationship, and I left him. Five of the longest years of my life. Later, uh, you know, after he, kind of, I was so resistant to polyamory, and he pushed and pushed and pushed for it. And then when I finally give in, and it's not him as the center of attention, mm. he wants to pull the plug. Wow. I was livid. Yeah. I was irate. Yeah. Um, and ironically, that happens. It's kind of cliche. It happens more mm-hmm. than. More often than not, when a man kind of drags a woman to the polyamorous community, kicking and screaming, then she's like, wow, I have all these options. This is fun. And he's like, oh, shit. I didn't Mm -hmm. realize it would be harder to find women to date me. Mm -hmm. You know, now I don't want to do this anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I always say that I think uh, polyamory mainly works if both people are willing to look at their own shit oh yeah <laughs> or not well um you know it is it will never work because it just highlights everything that is wounded within you
1: absolutely yeah absolutely
0: yeah so okay so you got through that relationship and then was that around the time you started doing your research
1: actually the group that I had met where I was like I need to figure this out mm-hmm. um I was in graduate school by that time Mm -hmm. and taking a course on ethnography with the esteemed Dr. Patricia Adler, who Mm. is a giant in her field. Mm. Um, And she was like, find a setting and ask people some questions. I was like, oh, I'm hanging out with these really interesting people already. Maybe I'll ask them. And that just kind of slowly evolved into my dissertation
0: research.
1: Of asking them first and then asking people who they knew when that was in the Midwest and a very white, mm-hmm. very white place. So at one point I was like, oh, everybody in this sample, almost everyone is white. This isn't mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. I need to see if I can diversify. So I went to the California Bay Area where I happen to be right now mm-hmm. um, looking for people. And this was in the early 2000s. Okay, looking for people to interview and found a whole bunch of white people doing it, you know, okay. still. Um, and I've realized that not, o- not that only white people are in polyamorous relationships, certainly not anymore and not even at that mm-hmm. time. But if you're going to talk to a r- white researcher about your unusual relationship. Mm. That requires a lot of safety, a lot of social privilege to buffer you, Mm -hmm. not only from the potential impacts of being found out in the community, somehow being outed, which I've never outed anyone Mm -hmm. in my research, Mm -hmm. but there's that risk. Mm -hmm. You know, it's risky to potentially single yourself out that way. And then the added risk of of having this white researcher look down on you, which I don't, but how do they know that? Right, right. So I think there are lots of reasons why now we're having a lot more research on BIPOC folks done by BIPOC folks, which I think is the key. That's really
0: to create that sense of safety and, you know, ability to open up is it is um, it's very scary to, you know, talk about. uh, It's one of the reasons why I felt like I had to do this podcast was because I have so much white privilege and not only privilege in terms of, you know, where I live and, and, you know, what I do for a living and I'm a entrepreneur, but also just in the acceptance that I had with my family, my children. I mean, it was like, everyone was accepting and open and loving and like you do you. You've always done you, so you do you. And it was like I have to speak out for people who cannot speak out. Um, and so I, I'm curious about because you have studied, you know, this like diversity in relationship for over 25 years. What you are seeing as the evolution of diverse relationships? From the time that you started up to now, and then I want to like get that and then look maybe into the future if you were to, you know, future cast a little bit, but I'm curious what you've seen in the evolution of diverse relationships.
1: I would, I'll start just within polyamory itself. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say lots of subdivisions coming up within polyamory. Mm -hmm. now that weren't necessarily there initially there was this discussion of either polyamory or polyfidelity
0: Mm. what is the difference can you talk about just the difference of the two
1: polyamory is uh, a more open form of relationship where people are dating each other but there's also the assumption that they would be able to date other people as well it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily like all right we've got the three or four of us and now we're done
2: Mm -hmm. But more
1: like, yeah, there's the three or four of us, and we might meet someone else, you know, Mm -hmm. individually, as a group, whatever. It's kind of more permeable. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Polyfidelity is the idea that it's a closed relationship among Mm -hmm. more than two people. And usually it's a smaller group. Three to five is generally the kind of closed nugget of polyamory. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's most common in triads and quads. Mm -hmm. And um, it works great for some people, especially people who kind of accidentally fell for each other. Mm -hmm. Like maybe weren't looking for polyamorous relationships. But I'm thinking actually of this, this triad that was in my research. A couple with their best friend. And they just kind of all accidentally fell in love. And Mm -hmm. it was so cute because especially at the time when people would get into these multiple partner relationships without looking for them and without a community to kind of organize it, they would always think they invented it. And it was so cute because they're like, we invented this new thing. And then they go online. Then the internet comes and they go online and they're like, oh, we invented it. They invented it. They invented it like a lot. people have invented this new thing it's kind of <laughs> fun yeah um and in that case like they loved each other but weren't really looking for
2: mm-hmm. additional
1: relationships so mm-hmm. they learned the term polyfidelity and applied it to themselves of like yeah we're it's just us we're not really polyamorous in the sense that we're out there on dating websites and things like that when it doesn't work polyfidelity Is when someone imposes it out of insecurity and Mm. someone else in the group actually wants to be able to date, but they give in because someone within the group is like, I think it should just be the four of us. I really don't think we should be dating other people because of sexually transmitted infections or time Mm -hmm. or emotion like this is as much as I can handle or whatever. There's usually reasons behind it. And then that person who's ever in that group who gave in to polyfidelity but doesn't really want it will often see other people clandestinely
2: Mm. and so
1: cheat within their polyfidelitous relationship. It doesn't always happen that way, but Mm -hmm. if there's cheating in a polyamorous relationship, frequently it's happening in a polyfidelitous relationship where they've said, Uh. this is as big as we get. This is us don't see people outside of us
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so when you started the research you started seeing kind of that that discussion polyamory versus polyfidelity and then how did it evolve from there
1: um i can't remember exactly when i heard the term solo polyamory mm-hmm but they started to talk about oh, there's solo polyamory, there's monogamish mm-hmm. relationships, there's non hierarchical polyamory, mm-hmm. there's kitchen table polyamory, there's mm-hmm. hierarchical polyamory. And like within polyamory, they started to identify kind of subcategories, which is, I have to say, very common among sex and gender minorities. Mm-hmm. That first, you've got the one category. then you realize oh we're not all homogeneous in here Mm -hmm. there's different kinds of us and then you start kind of sub-identifying right then relationship anarchy came a little bit later um so now there's all kinds of relationships that could be called polyamory Mm -hmm. and many of them are called a kind of polyamory but some of them are not called polyamory at all Mm. And really kind of um, like relationship anarchy and monogamish relationships, Mm -hmm. those two can look like polyamory, depending on who's doing them and how, or they can look super different. Mm -hmm. Like both of those especially can be really kind of idiosyncratic to however the people who are doing it negotiate it, which is very similar to polyamory, actually. Mm -hmm frequently Mm -hmm. idiosyncratic to the people doing it so that kind of proliferation of sub-identities within the larger category is definitely a trend i have Mm -hmm. seen and a kind of um, judgment against each other like some people kind of staking their flag on their own category and saying this is the real one we're the right we do it the right way and you're wrong Mm -hmm. you may do your thing but it's not nearly as good as our thing so lots of yeah especially around hierarchy some people being like hierarchy hierarchy is not okay under any circumstances
2: Mm -hmm.
1: which Mm -hmm. for them maybe it's not for Mm -hmm. them maybe Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. need complete Mm non-hierarchy for other people they're more comfortable with hierarchy and the people they're dating are also comfortable with hierarchy and it works for them. And ironically, new research on the non-hierarchy people, no matter how much they say no hierarchy, when you look at precisely how they spend their time and their money,
2: Mm. they
1: have clear hierarchy. Uh, They mm -hmm. pretend no hierarchy, but they do Uh have hierarchy so it's almost like a
0: natural like human thing that happens right
1: humans definitely are all about the hierarchy if you Mm -hmm. look at human relationships across Mm -hmm. time and around the world even Mm -hmm. small like group relationships on the playground Mm
2: -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like
1: somebody filters to the top with their Mm henchmen and dominates people below them Mm -hmm. And it also happens within like sports teams Mm -hmm. or choirs Mm -hmm. or work groups or, you know, like it's a thing we're primates and it's what the primates do. Right. So pretending you're not a primate doesn't actually make you not a primate. (laughs)
0: Right. Right. And I want to speak a little bit more to what you were saying about how everyone does it their way. And so I talk about how labels can be helpful to help us feel like we're not alone, but they can be really hurtful when they put us against each other. And my whole message with this podcast is that every relationship is as unique as you are. And that even like, when I was in monogamy, right? When I was monogamous, is like I'm not doing monogamy right. Like, what does that mean, right? It's just that I'm not doing it how maybe I read or I saw or I witnessed other people doing it. When I threw that away, really threw it away, and I was like, what? Well, but well, how do I do it? And I'm in a unique relationship with my husband, who is a unique person, and our kids are unique. There's no other anyone else like us with our circumstances, and going into like my relationship in that way really freed me up to honor my own unique desires and wants my partners and have us the work was us coming together to say how are we going to express ourselves in this unique way and that's how i talk about relationship diversity it's not just diversity within these structures of monogamy polyamory and you know non monogamy swinging and all of that it's like who am i and how am i going to feel the most fulfilled in my life. And when I allow myself to do that, I also release the need for other people to show up in a certain way, you know, to make it seem like everyone's doing it right or wrong. It's like we come, it's more unifying. Um, And so that's why I think from some of the things I've read, you talk that you're talking about, you talk about that kind of thing of like, we all do it in our own way And let's honor how we all do it and say, you can do it in your way because that's important to you, but you're not me and I'm not you. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's, but it's about that consensual part of like coming together with my partner and saying, what do you need? What do you want to feel, to feel needed, special and what's important to you and let's come together in that way. Um, so I, I get nervous, you know, or not nervous, but I get sad when I see like people say, but I, I think it's like into in society, like I'm supposed to do things in a certain way. You know, I need to if I'm not doing it in that certain way, I'm doing it wrong. Um, do you find that that with people?
1: So much. And in <laughs> fact, so one of the other areas that I study, that I started studying specifically because of polyamory is BDSM.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: And um I'd never heard of it before, Mm -hmm. but so many of my polyamorous respondents were like, oh yeah, I'm kinky or I do BDSM or I've got Mm -hmm. this partner and this, you know, like multiple partners within a BDSM context. And I was Mm -hmm. like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So I started studying it. I was like, oh, this is clearly related Mm -hmm. and I've never even heard of this. What is this? And that kind of, we do it right. Mm -hmm is very strong within the BDSM community. Mm. And so much, much like the way polyamory has all sorts of different ways to practice it underneath, BDSM is very similar in Mm. that way. And just for listeners who've never heard of that Mm -hmm. either, um, it's kind of an acronym that means kinky sex. So there's Mm -hmm. bondage and discipline,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. dominance and submission, Mm -hmm. And sadism and masochism. Mm -hmm. And it's it often involves like role play and intense sensations. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, tying people up and spanking them is really popular or hitting them with other things. That's called impact play. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and pretending someone's in charge and then Mm -hmm. pretending someone else is submissive to them, you know, Mm -hmm. but Something important about BDSM is that it's it's negotiated and consensual. It's not just people like walking up to other people in the grocery right. store and slapping them or something. Right. That's the fault. Right. This is um clearly negotiated with like if the submissive partner will tell the dominant partner. What they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. They mm-hmm. generally will have a safe word
2: mm-hmm. to
1: stop things if there's somebody's feeling uncomfortable. So, and it's there's a lot more to it than that, but that's mm-hmm. just like the glaze on top. Um, so, within BDSM, there's definitely this kind of older generation that follows what they call protocol, mm. which is a very clear set of rules and regulations around how the submissive deals with the dominant and mm-hmm. you know a certain like number of paces behind that they walk and that you know the dominant always sits higher than the submissive so if there's only one chair the mm-hmm. dominant sits in the chair and the submissive sit on the ground and mm-hmm. you know like all of these rules that people made up mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. some people want to make up no rules at all. Other people really like the rules and it's fun to play with rules, you know, and fun to occasionally break rules and be punished. Right. Uh, But there's definitely that similar sense of who's the real kinkster, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you don't do it the way someone else does it, then you are pretending or something. And that became really highlighted with the advent of what they call the switch Mm. because initially there were dominant people and submissive people and you Mm -hmm. chose a role and you stuck with it like it defined you
2: Mm -hmm.
1: as younger people came into the scene they refused Mm -hmm. to stay in one role not every single one of them Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but many of them Mm -hmm. were like you know what we're here to have fun Mm
2: -hmm.
1: this is Fun and you're mm-hmm. taking yourselves very seriously with all of these rules, right? But that we don't want those rules. So a lot of people kind of rejected the the mandate that you have to choose dominance or submission, and would choose, you know, one or the other depending on their mood or depending mm-hmm. on who they were playing with or what kind of play mm-hmm. they were doing. And so that was kind of a revolution in the kink generational and now it's a big nothing there are so many switches and you know it's it's kind of nobody really cares anymore like you can call yourself a switch and not get people saying oh well then you're not really kinky or you Mm -hmm. don't really, really count you're not you know you're doing it the wrong way
0: right this is what i see is the gift of you know millennials gen zers gen alphas in terms of fluidity, so I did a whole episode on fluidity, just watching because I'm, um, you know, about to turn fifty three, but I have Gen Alpha, Gen Z, and Gen Alpha kids. I had kids later in life, but I have nieces and nephews who are millennials. So I just like watched this amazing, beautiful, in my eyes, transformation of we have to fit in a box in like baby boomers and. Gen Xers and then moving more towards fluidity, which is why I think there's all these, you know, beautiful different ways that people are expressing identity um, and relationship style is because we're moving from, you know, this, like I am a certain person to I flow. And today I feel like this and tomorrow I feel like that. And I want to be able to express all sides of myself. So with that, I ask you, what do you see as in like, if you were to forecast the next, you know, 10, 15 years of relationship diversity, how do you see that playing out?
1: Um, That's a great question. I think I see monogamy being more firmly settled as one of The options on the menu of diverse relationships. Mm -hmm. I don't see monogamy as ever going away, Mm -hmm. but I think it's lost its throne of the unquestioned Mm -hmm. norm. Like, Mm -hmm. even among people who want to practice monogamy now it's got to be negotiated. Mm -hmm. You can't just assume, oh, we had sex that one time. So we're together and together (laughs) means monogamous. Like you laugh. Exactly. (laughs) If you assume that you look like a fool because Uh you can have a lot of sex with a lot of different people and not be with Mm -hmm. any of them and certainly not be monogamous with Mm -hmm. any of them. But I think there's a certain Appeal within monogamy that a lot of people really like Mm -hmm. and really want to stick with, but it's not the unquestioned only option Mm -hmm. anymore. And I don't see it ever going back. Wow. The sole option, unquestioned Mm -hmm. anymore. Because even if you want to practice monogamy, now you have to decide does your monogamy include? Sexting other people. Mm, You know, mm -hmm. like people never have to had to think about sexting (laughs) and how that influenced monogamy because there was no texting to sex. You know, there was no Facebook on which to send your ex Mm -hmm. a flower and heart emoji on their birthday. Mm. You know, let's say you never see them, you never like really hang out with them. But if you're sending them facebook emojis like that Mm -hmm. an eggplant facebook emoji is that monogamy
0: right once you
1: have to kind of pick apart what counts as monogamy and what doesn't Mm -hmm. it's definitely exposed as a social construct not something that's like this natural thing that everyone does Mm -hmm. you know once you're like well is this part of it or not then you really have to decide Mm -hmm. what what do we mean by monogamy yeah. And for some people, that includes getting anonymous blowjobs. Mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. still be monogamy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I definitely see monogamy as a as a a strong choice, but not the only choice. Um, and I think this emphasis on sex as the kind of hallmark of a real relationship is waning mm. in part because I think a lot of younger people are like, yes, yeah, sex. Eh, okay. You know, some of them are like, yeah, sex. Mm-hmm. I like sex. <laughs> I want more sex. I want to have a lot of sex. And, oh, damn. And some yeah. of them
2: are like, eh,
1: sex is kind of overrated. And that, you know, like you have to think about it a lot. You got to get ready for it. You got to talk about it. And You, gotta, <laughs> you know, eh, wait and have sex later, you know, um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of people who are recognizing that asexuality is this very legitimate, Mm -hmm. um, longstanding Mm -hmm. identity that there have always been asexual people. Mm -hmm. But they've been kind of miscategorized as either um, frigid and kind of malfunctioning somehow Mm -hmm. or superhuman you know, able to maintain celibacy as a priest or a nun or a whatever, you know, Uh someone who's supposed to not have sex. I know that must be so difficult for them. And they're actually like, no, I chose this. So I wouldn't have to have sex. Right. (laughs) That's why I'm doing this. Right. Um, And I think that entire kind of category of you can be close to people, you can be, you know, they can be important in your life, you can be important in their life. And it doesn't have to include sex. Like sex doesn't mean it's a real relationship and the absence of sex doesn't make it a not real relationship, I think is really, it's already here. It's already happening, Mm -hmm. but I think there's still some holdouts who are like, oh, if you're asexual, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And I think that is going away. People Mm -hmm. are fully, especially again, younger people are fully accepting That you can be asexual and fully functional, not pathologized at all. There's nothing wrong with you. You just don't want to have sex, and that's okay. Yeah.
0: Yes, and I find that that's a misconception of polyamory. You know, is that it's all about the sex? And polyamory is so much about like emotional intimacy. Well, okay, I would say for me, emotional intimacy and um, just so many other areas besides just sex. And um, and I think it's, you know, that leads me to the thought of like, it's about education, you know, it's about really understanding and and getting past all of those kind of societal, you know, beliefs about and questioning. That's like a huge, huge thing that I'm a big proponent of just like question and like go one layer deeper. Like, can I, I have some, you know, a lot of people are like, I could never be polyamorous. I'd be too jealous. And I'm like, why are you stopping there? Like you are missing the gold of all of the healing that can happen because you stop at this one level here, you know, and just asking why and looking at, you know, can I have intimacy, emotional intimacy with more than one person? I already do. I have emotional intimacy with my children. I have it with my siblings i have it with my you know best friends so um but there's just so many of these constructs right that are on that are on relationships and gender and all of that um and i would love to move to um your work with the bonding project because this when i can't believe i just recently found out about the bonding project but i love this project so can you explain what it is how it started and where it's at now
1: absolutely so my good friend jess was talking about how she goes on all of these tinder dates Mm. and all of them say oh i don't want a relationship and she's like yeah i know i don't want a relationship either but do you not want a relationship in the same kind of way that i don't want a relationship that Mm. means we kind of want a relationship Mm -hmm. the same kind, Mm -hmm. but do you just not want someone with all these expectations of you? Like, what is it about the relationship that you don't want? And underneath that, what do you want? Mm -hmm. So she was like, we need some kind of litmus test or whatever to figure out what people are looking for in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So she and I, I was like, oh my God, that's such a good idea. Um, so we worked on that for maybe five years of having like all these fantastic ideas and it never went anywhere because we were both like idea oriented, but really had no clue about implementation. Then the pandemic strikes and some of her friends and colleagues are not working the same way they used to be working. So she's like, Hey, what do you think of adding some people to the team? and see if we can actually make some forward momentum. So we added two more folks and it changed everything. Within a year, we had a quiz online Mm. that was great. And a lot of people had really good responses to it, but we knew it was never going to be the final thing. We knew it was our beta Mm -hmm. product, you know, kind of, um, for one thing, it, the Some of the language was difficult. Some of the wording was just really awkward and not great. Mm. Um, and we tried and tried to fix it. And it just was challenging. For another thing, it kind of lumped too many kinds of bonding into one quiz and mm. didn't distinguish enough. Um, so that was online for, I think, about a year and a half and maybe close to 18,000 people took it and Mm. found that it was really useful. We got some great results. We got some great feedback um, and we would have left it up while we kept working on the other quizzes. But the, when we created it, it, you know, we basically like took a whole bunch of different programs and. Taped them together with duct tape and some chewing gum and a little bit of string. <laughs> and so the back of the house, when people would come to take the quiz, if more than like five people took it in a day, the back of the house was just like crumble. And so <laughs> we kept tried and tried to fix that, and we were like, all right, this system, this technological system just cannot handle this amount of traffic. Mm-hmm. We can't fix it. It's a hot mess. Mm -hmm. So we took the technology down and now it's still up um, at Mm bondingproject.com. You can find the quiz and take it as a Mm self-score, kind of just to think about for yourself, what do you think about bonding? But now we're working on Mm sub-quizzes around how do you want to bond around time? how do you want to bond around money? How about sex? How about Mm. affection and attention? How about um, cohabitation, like Mm. your space Um, to help people? So now there's room, for instance, let's say you're asexual, but you really like a group housing situation. Mm. You might be a solo bonder sexually meaning you just don't necessarily even want to have sex with other people at all mm-hmm. but a many-to-many
2: mm. bonder
1: in a housing situation where you like to live with people and you like that kind of collective feeling of everyone cooking together and making keeping the house clean and making mm-hmm. decisions together and kind of hanging out together with roommates mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily. Fall in love with them, want to have sex with them, you know, whatever, maybe that's not the kind of bonding you're doing with them. Mm -hmm. So um, we're really excited about not only how hopefully these new quizzes will help people figure out better how they want to bond, but it's also providing a lot of data Mm
2: -hmm. that we
1: are hoping to use and kind of provide to other researchers, policy making boards that can look and see oh how many people actually of what age category of what gender of what you know national origin whatever um are actually bonding one to one how many people want to bond one to many many mm. to many how many solo bonders
2: mm.
1: are out there and what does solo bonding mean to them cuz mm-hmm. solos actually really can run the gamut from like super solo hermit kind of person who's basically like, I really like to be left alone. I want to live by myself. I want my own finances. I don't want to have sex with anybody. You know, Mm -hmm. sure, I'll have friends and stuff. Maybe I'm a one-to-one or one-to-many bonder in a social setting. But for the most part, like, I like my own space and I like my own time. That Mm -hmm. can be solo. Or solo can also be... I want to live in a group house and have all sorts of different lovers wherever, but I don't want any of my lovers trying to share my bank account, mm-hmm. trying to share, you know, custody of my child or whatever, you know, who knows, Yeah, but I'm excited to kind of see more about solo seems like a really rich and evolving category,
0: right? Yeah. I, I love that. And I, you know, uh, the thing that sticks out to me so much as I hear you explain it is that it helps people get to know themselves and and have conversations from a conscious place instead of like just going into something blindly and coming up with like, oh, because I really like my alone time. I process is just been that way since I was 12 years old. I process by myself. I need that alone time, even though I'm in, you know, relationships, have kids and rarely alone. But it it through deep soul searching i found that if i don't have my alone time um you know i am not as good of a mom partner you know community member business owner whatever and so it sounds like this will really help people get to know themselves so that they can then express that to the people around them in whatever type of relationship they are you know in with those people so that sounds just so opening and uh, and and such an amazing step in the direction of conscious relationships. Um,
1: and hopefully, once we get our vision for the technology, if we can actually implement this, it would be fantastic. Having a dashboard where people can see that the results of all of their quizzes and how that changes over time. Because back to fluidity, like you were saying, at some points in your life, you're like, I want to be with all the people. Mm -hmm. I want to be with all the people all the time. Mm -hmm. And at other points, you're like, I just want to be alone, me and the cat and nobody else. Um, And then not only see your own results over time, but compare your results with other people. So let's say you're establishing a polycule and -hmm. you've got six people and you're like, okay, how are we going to mesh as a polycule? You all take the tests, you do the relationship comparison, which is, again, a technology thing that would mm-hmm. compare the the results mm-hmm. and find out, oh, of the six of us, four of us want blended finances and two of us want to have their own money. Yeah. How are we going to work that out?
0: Yes.
1: You know, five of us want to have kids and one of us really doesn't. Mm -hmm, three mm -hmm. of us want to live together and three of us don't you Mm -hmm. know like right so we can help highlight okay you're in strong agreement here and you probably won't have to work that much on that Mm -hmm. but in this area or these areas you have wildly differing desires around bonding and that could create some issues so let's Mm -hmm. look at that now in a kind of a more abstract way Mm -hmm. before it's Mm -hmm. like you're pregnant. What do you mean you're pregnant? Right. You're what?
0: Right. You know? right. Right. Gosh, that's so, that's so amazing. And, and I love the idea that you're saying that you can kind of look for the, you know, get a, like a litmus test of like, where am I in this moment? And then where am I here? Because I do think, you know, with my husband, we've been together 17 years and so much has changed, you know? And so we have to continually come back to where are we now? What's going on with us now? And where are we not in alignment? Where are we in alignment? What do we need to be working on? What you know, to, to remain in whatever we're choosing to, you know, relationship we're remaining to be in, but it's, that's really amazing. So can people be, a? how can people, like, what are the varying ways that people can be a part of this bonding project?
1: Um, well, right now we're kind of in creative hiatus. I, I kind of picture us as like all the bonding project people in a cocoon together and we're mm-hmm. in there working away, like coming up with something. And pretty soon our new butterfly is going to, you know, mm-hmm. like burst out and we'll be back online again with multiple quizzes in a multiple way. Um, but we've got to figure out like the scoring
2: mm-hmm. is
1: is a challenge. Mm-hmm. and how to house it technologically in a much more substantial way mm-hmm. than we did last time. That mm-hmm. um, is around money. Like we've been just putting our own money into this, mm. but to do the real build the technology in a robust and usable way has, is going to take more money than we have. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to figure out like, okay, what do we do about the money? What do we do about So um, I am hoping that we will have solid quizzes to pilot test by the end of the spring or the summer, because we're pretty close to Mm -hmm. that, I think. So if people are interested in pilot testing and giving us that, that's a kind of a research process where you come up with a thing for, in our case, it would be a quiz. And then people take it and they say, I liked this part. I didn't like that part. I found this confusing. I -hmm. think you should add this. You didn't ask me about that. So um, pilot testing is a crucial step in research of of creating your final product. Mm -hmm. So um, if people want to pilot test, they can connect with us online at bondingproject.com and volunteer to pilot test. Once we've kind of got our shit together again, um, we'll want, um, uh, interns to help us mm-hmm. with things. Um, and people, if you want to just take the quizzes and not have it be anything more than that, something you think about, you can go there right now and mm-hmm. find the self-scoring, the old quiz,
2: mm-hmm.
1: just, come with some grace that we know that some of the wording <laughs> is difficult. Um, and we know it lumps bonding styles together. so you know mm-hmm. it's still a useful thing to consider and talk about but it's not as as sophisticated as the quizzes we're coming out with soon
0: right and it's a creative process so it will it, it is will a creative evolve process. yeah it will evolve and if you've got a lot of money and you're listening out there and this feels really true to you let's support this bonding project because i really do feel that this you know exploring diversity in relationships and 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 really learning about yourself and and taking responsibility for your stuff and coming consciously into relationships is one way that we heal the divisiveness of what's going on in the world today. Um. Agree. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have all of the links. Where can people connect with you, Dr. Eli?
1: My website is elisabethchef.com, E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H-S-H-E-F-F. Um, And there's all sorts of good links on there. You can find me on Psychology Today. Mm. I blog under the title of my first book, The Polyamorists Next Door. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are probably the two best places.
0: I love your blog on Psychology Today. I read many of them. That's how I reached out to you. Well, that was one of it in a Facebook post. But I I love that, um, just your perspectives uh, on that. And um, so please go connect with Dr. Eli and and support the Bonding Project. And we'll have all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. Eli, for being a part of this and and having this conversation. Thanks so much for listening to the Relationship Diversity Podcast. Want to learn more about relationship diversity? I've got a free guide I'd love to send you go to www.RelationshipDiversityPodcast.com to get your sent right to you. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast. You being here and participating in the conversation about relationship diversity is what helps us create a space of inclusivity and acceptance together. The more comfortable and normal it is to acknowledge the vast and varied relating we all do, the faster we'll shift to a paradigm of conscious, intentional, and diverse relationships. New episodes are released every Thursday. Stay connected with me through my website, kerrygeraslow.com, Instagram, or TikTok. Stay curious. Every relationship is as unique as you are. Are you feeling stuck or unfulfilled in your intimate relationship? Do all your relationships end in the same way? Do you feel like you've lost the spark in your current relationship? Can you never even find one person who you want to explore a relationship with? If you answered yes to any of those questions, are sick and tired of feeling like a failure in your relationships, and desperately desire a different experience, then my 8-week Deep Reprogramming Intensive may be the answer for you. In this program, I work individually with you for 8 transformative weeks. We'll identify the subconscious programming that's keeping you stuck and shift it to a new affirming belief systems. We go deep, we get real, we get results. This is healing unlike anything you've ever experienced before. Here's what people are saying. Jordan from North Carolina said, "More has shifted in 8 weeks of working with Carrie than 10 years of psychotherapy." Jane from Sanford, North Carolina, said it's honestly changed my life. And Cassie from Santa Barbara, California, said Carrie's laser precision in helping me diagnose where the stuck energy was helped me make positive movement in our first session alone absolutely transformational. I love being a guide and witness to these courageous people who claim that they were done with their past experiences and ready for something different. I'm opening a limited number of spots for 2023 and would love to help you permanently transform your relationship experience. To set up a free 30-minute clarity call where I'll help you uncover your number one block to fulfilling relationships, connect with me through the link in the show notes. You are worthy of experiencing deep fulfillment and love in your relationships. This intensive work will help you get there.